So Colossians 1, 15 to 23. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Thank you very much, uh, Kate. Introduce myself again. I'm Morris. I'm one of the leaders here at Christchurch. I'll be walking us through that bit of the Bible today. And we'll be looking at it quite closely. So if you've closed your Bible or switched your Bible off, uh, do open and have another look. We'll be looking at it quite closely. Some of it will be on the screen, but I think it will help you to be uh, looking along. Uh, can I just mention before we start again a couple of things um, that you may not know that would be useful to you. If you're new or newish to Christchurch and you're looking for a community to be part of, the Hub is our community for people who aren't in a small group yet and meets on Thursday evenings. And evening services have also restarted, not here, but at our church centre too, by the place. And if you're finding all of this a bit big and busy and intimidating, the evening service is a smaller, more reflective chance to get to know people. And we're looking at the moment about uh, how to read the Bible for ourselves and really enjoy that and get lots of it. So you're welcome to join us if you're free this evening at our church centre. Let me pray before we look at Colossians together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the book of Colossians, this letter that is full of truth and joy and puts hope in front of us that draws faith and trust in Jesus out of us. And we pray today your spirit would do that work as we listen to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I guess there are probably people here today who are new to Liverpool or new to starting university. And starting university for me, I went to a new place, was the first time that I met different Christian tribes. I think I was brought up going to church, but I think I thought all the Christians in the world were like the ones that I knew. Uh, thankfully, that's not true. That's another story. Uh, I met uh, 
people who liked um, singing and jumping up and down, putting their hands in the air, that was new to me, wearing Tegu t-shirts and doing drama in the street and really enthusiastic about sharing their faith. I met people who liked wearing robes and singing in choirs and uh, repeating things out loud together, that was all new to me. And I also met very sort of stern people in grey suits and big Bibles. Um, not all of them I had something to learn from. But I did meet a group of Christians, I remember, who were always saying this phrase, Jesus is enough. And I pondered, what do they mean by that? There were some people, definitely people, who were saying that, and they were saying like quite sort of, you know, crazy things, which was like, Jesus is enough so you don't ever need medical help or to go to hospital, you don't give up taking your tablets because Jesus is enough. That's not true. There are other people saying this, and meaning Jesus is enough, so you shouldn't ever really feel unhappy or sad. You shouldn't feel a lack of anything. You shouldn't mourn anything or long for anything, because Jesus is enough. And so we end up with this weird spiritual atmosphere where everyone is pretending to be okay, because, you know, we must keep up the idea that Jesus is enough. So for reasons like that, I'm nervous of people going wrong saying Jesus is enough. It feels to me sometimes like a meaningless Christian phrase that everybody is repeating and not really thinking about what it means. But, as a summary of what Paul is saying to these Christians in Colossae in this letter, it works. He is saying, Jesus is enough. He's writing to these young, enthusiastic Christians in Colossae, and that, this section, this is what he's saying. Jesus is enough. What is Jesus enough for? Jesus is enough for you if you have committed that incredibly wrong sin again and you became a Christian and you've still committed that sin again. Jesus is enough to forgive you and change you. Or Jesus is enough for you if you feel like you don't quite fit and you end up sucking up other people's affirmation all the time and ruining your relationships because you're so hungry to be approved of. Jesus is enough for that. Well, Jesus is enough for you today. Maybe you're here today and actually secretly what we'd quite like to do is give up being a Christian because there are other things and ways of living that draw you away from Jesus. And Jesus is enough to satisfy whatever it is you're longing for. And Jesus is enough if you are facing a huge challenge that seems can't be beaten. Your inner person just feels like you might give up. Jesus is enough for that. To be with you and even bring good out of whatever it is that you're facing. And Jesus is enough if your soul is hungry to know more, to go deeper, to really encounter and know God and live in real dependence on Him, Jesus is enough for that life. My inner self, my soul, hungers for glory, but also for safety. I hunger for adventure, but also security. My soul needs a path through life that means the end is assured. My soul has a hunger for love that needs satisfying. I'm longing to go deeper to find more. And this passage is all saying Jesus is so big, so glorious, so good, he can fill that need. 
He, Jesus, is the most glorious being that has ever been. He is the eternal Son of God. He always existed, which is something we can't grasp. And he lowered himself to make that glory, that weight that we hunger for, available to us in a soul-satisfying, safety-given, purpose-driving way. Now, there's a lot in what we just had read to us. It feels like I can't possibly do it justice. But in terms of remembering what it's about, applying this quenching goodness of Jesus to your thirsty self, there's actually only three words you need to remember, so that's good. He, you, it. He, you, it. Let's look at the first one. He. I'm sorry that's small on the screen, I wanted to get it all there. That's why I need it in front of you as well. One of the things we do here at Christchurch is try and train preachers, train people to teach God's word to other people. And one of the things I often say to preaching classes is, you know, don't overload us with too much information. Don't put too many big concepts in a row because we won't be able to get our head around that. Well, clearly the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter never attended one of my preaching classes. Or he was emailed the minutes and didn't read them. That's more common these days, isn't it? Because I could give a sermon on every single clause in these verses as Paul builds a view of Jesus. But I do want to say that if you're here and you think what we get from Jesus is sort of a bit of life advice from a Middle Eastern sage, that is quite far away from the view of the first Christians and what they thought of Jesus that we have recorded here. He, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. There is no God in heaven who is different in personality to Jesus. And that's important, I think, because one of the reasons we fall into thinking Jesus isn't enough is because we think, oh, God is in heaven and he doesn't like us, but Jesus persuades him to be nice. That's not right. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. As you read about Jesus, that is what God is like towards you. How does Jesus relate to everything else apart from Jesus? <laughs> That's a strange question. So there's Jesus and then there's everything else. How does he relate to everything else? Paul says, he made it. He's the firstborn over creation. That means that creation is made to be inherited, to be owned by him. We've seen an example of that this week as the firstborn prince has become the king, inherited the title. And that is what Paul is saying about Jesus. Everything was made so that Jesus could own it. And that's because, Paul says, everything we see and even every spiritual power we don't see was made by him and for him. He was before them all, and it's through him, Paul says, that the universe keeps going at all. I mean, that is quite a claim, isn't it? To make about an historical figure who actually lived in world history, Jesus Christ. He means the universe doesn't collapse. But there's loads of reasons that's important. But I guess one of them is that sometimes people think, oh well, Christianity is getting a bit boring and they started getting get very interested in other spiritualities. In this church it was angels. People were like, well, Jesus is very interesting, but could we also worship an angel? Because I don't really know why. We like them. 
feathers or something. I don't know. But they loved angels. But the claim here is that real spiritual powers exist, but they were created by and for Jesus. If you trust Jesus, you have the point and purpose and fullness of what any spirituality is offering you. What has Jesus done in history? Well, he is forming a body of people who belong to him, the church, and he is their head. So if you're a Christian today, you don't need any other sort of guru to train you to get to God. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the first person to rise from the dead, the first one to conquer death. All Christians will rise in glory, but Jesus went first. He fought the battle with death ahead of us. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Because, Paul says, in everything, the plan is that he will be supreme. He will be first. He will be recognised as greater than everyone. That's the plan. So you know when we have Easter services, wrong time of year to be talking about this, but as far away from this time in the year as we can get Easter, uh, we gather and we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. We're not celebrating all the other people who God will resurrect in the end, because the plan is that Jesus went first conquering death, so that he will be the most honoured and glorified. Now that is big claims about a person, a first century Jewish person who actually walked on the street in Nazareth and went fishing and ate bread and had friends and went to the loo. It is a big claim about human history, a scary claim. There is one person who has lived and he will be the supreme ruler over everyone and everything. Everything in history is moving towards him being recognised as that. You might feel nervous about that and you sort of feel right to. There are people in the world today who, who claim to be supreme leaders and they concentrate all the power and influence there is in themselves. And we do not find that glorious, we find it terrifying and uncomfortable that someone would claim that. We are easier with democracy. But here we find out that the universe is not set up as a democracy, but is set up to give one person the supremacy. Sometimes people think Jesus is a sort of hippie figure with sandals. Paul says he made everything. It was all made for him. He formed the church, he's coming back from the dead, and that all happened so that he would be supreme in the end. Is that okay for someone to take that role? Well, there are two reasons Paul says that's not just okay. It's brilliant. It's great. First, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This person, this man, this Galilean teacher, this Gandhi-type figure, Jesus, this human being, he also had the fullness of God dwelling in him. He was fully God as well as fully human. Now we're treading somewhere here where human understanding reaches its limits. But God was happy, pleased that his Godness would be fully in this person Jesus. So that means it is okay for him to be supreme over everything, supreme in history, 
for everything that there is to bend towards showing his greatness. Because unlike us who just reflect God's image, he actually has God's fullness in him. He can perfectly show us what God is like because he is God. But it gets better than that. God gladly gave all of his fullness to Jesus because through Jesus he was reconciling everything to himself. That word reconcile means to bring back into true relationship with him. Have you noticed that everything is broken? I don't just mean that people are broken, although that's true, people are broken and we all get things wrong. But everything is broken. Every single thing I try to do is difficult. Nothing is easy. And the Bible says that we were put in place to rule over creation. I'll be honest, I don't feel much like that. Like creation is falling into line under what I'm trying to do with it. Everything is tricky. And that's because the Bible teaches us that people, as rulers of God's creation, rebelled against God, and everything broke when that happened. Creation fell when people fell. So it's not just that people do bad things, it's that nothing works in the perfect way that God made it to work. <coughs> and God has a plan already in action to reconcile everything to himself, to bring everything back under his perfect rule to function as it should. There is the glorious promise of a day when everything broken will be fixed. As one writer says, when everything sad will become untrue. And it is Jesus, by dying, his blood, that makes that reconciliation of everything possible. Now, I cannot explain how that's true now. I have enough to say. Thanks, Paul. Uh, I have plenty to get on with. But I'm just telling you, that is the Bible's truth, that the glorious melody of history is now that everything, everything in this veil of tears is on its way to being reconciled to the perfect God who made it. And that is possible through Jesus, the fully God person, dying. There is a deeper magic that breaks the spell of this eternal winter in which we live. And this fully God person steps into the world and dies in order to reconcile everything, well then it is okay for him to be supreme. It's good and great and awesome and majestic and comforting and so satisfyingly great. Even if I was just an observer, it's just amazing, glorious news to see. God is reconciling everything to himself through this one person, Jesus. It's amazing to me that there is someone who it is all made by and for, who took God's fullness from heaven and brought it here in order to bring everything to perfectly relate back to the one who made us. Whatever is happening to me in my life, and there might be a lot you bring to church with you that you're holding today, that glorious journey is always happening back to reconciliation with God and everything is going there. Even if it didn't involve me, that would be comforting, happy news. 
I've got a friend called Sam, not in this church. I've got a friend called Sam in this church, but I'm not talking about him, just to be clear. Uh, my other friend Sam, for various reasons, his life is challenging. And Sam says one of the things that helps him with his difficult life is he just likes to go somewhere remote and look at mountains. And just the beauty and reassurance and size of all of that humbles him and comforts him and moves him out of his own problems. And what Paul is doing here is, in, is presenting us with the most impressive range of mountains you can ever imagine. The glory of Jesus. And that settles us, humbles us. There is always that perfect beauty enfolding history. And this passage is a, an invitation, whatever you're carrying, to, to breathe in, to enjoy him, to worship him. Because everything is on its way to him being seen as supreme. That's he. You. One of my children spent a week of the summer learning to surf. Uh, she got very into it. She came out of the sea and I was like, I really like the way that you wrote that wave. And she was like, it's called catching a wave, Dad. <laughs> I was like, alright, okay, thanks. Now, there is a power and regularity in the sea, isn't there? The waves are going to come in and break on the shore, no matter what I do. Whether I am miles away from the sea, or standing beside it, or in it, those waves just break. And surfing is about getting in there and catching the waves. See, I know I say that now. To enjoy that constant motion of the sea that you're never going to stop. The water will break on the shore, whatever you do, but you can get joy by catching that wave joining in with the immense power of the sea. Becoming a Christian is something like that. Verse 20 says that God is reconciling everything to himself. Everything that is broken and separated from God will be brought back to him. That will happen. That is God the Father's arrangement with Jesus. They will do it. There is a huge wave of restoring mercy that will break on the whole world. That is going to happen. But if you are a Christian, trusting Jesus, you are riding the power of that wave that will reconcile all of creation to God. Paul's saying, if it can reconcile all of creation, God can do that through Jesus. He has certainly done that for you. You are surfing the wave that will definitely break. Once, he says, you were alienated, you were not reconciled to God. You were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour. It's interesting, I think, how sin works. The more we choose bad things, the more we become unable to think of ourselves as bad. You will find that in your life. When you get into a pattern of doing bad things, the more you do that, the less you feel able to own what you've done that's bad. It changes how you think. You get further and further away from coming back to God. We're saying sorry to people. You become an enemy in your mind because of the bad decisions you've made. But now, he says, he has reconciled you through Christ's physical body through death. In the same way, he is reconciling everything 
through his blood shed on the cross, that wave is breaking, then he can and has reconciled you fully to God if you have trusted Jesus. There's a thing in life, isn't there, where sometimes people ask you whether you can do something that it's really obvious you can do. It's like we used to have a guy in our office who was really, really good with computers and he would like fix our whole network. And then someone would say to him, oh, do you think you can get this document to print? And I'd be like, yes, I can set up a whole computer network. I can print a document. Do you have that experience in life? You know, I know there are a lot of medics here and you can like do surgery on people. And then they're like, do you think you can like prescribe a paracetamol? It's like, yes, I can do that. If I can do the big thing, I can definitely do the little thing. That's what's going on with Jesus here. It's saying Jesus through his blood can reconcile everything in all creation back to God. He can do the big thing. Sometimes though, I sort of wonder, has he really reconciled me to God? Well, if he can do the big thing, he can definitely do the little thing. It's amazing that Christians will tick the box, which seems like a dry doctrine. God is reconciling everything to himself. Yeah, I heard that in church, tick the box, I believe that. But, yesterday, I didn't read the Bible. Has God really reconciled me to himself? You know, I know there's power in Jesus' death to reconcile every broken thing in all of creation to God. I know there is that. But is that effective for me because of this thing I've done, or this way I feel, or this thing I'm dealing with? Yes. If he can do the big thing, he can do the little thing. Reconciled by itself can mean sort of put up with. That's the way we tend to use it in English. Well, I'm reconciled to that. It's sort of like, well, okay, it's just the way it is. It is what it is, that's a classic Scottish phrase, isn't it? People say, it is what it is. That's what reconciled can mean. I'll put up with this situation. But that is not what reconciliation to God means. It says in verse 22, because of Jesus' physical body, a real historical event, anyone is presented in God's sight without blemish and free from accusation. Through Jesus, we are treated and welcomed, uh, however messed up we are, not just as tolerated in God's presence, but washed clean, welcomed by God. He will never accuse. You're there without blemish. Your experience of being a Christian might be that as you grow as a Christian, you become more aware of sin in your life. And so you begin to feel guilty. Can I say, the awareness of what's wrong in your own life, it's never God accusing you. It's never God saying, well, you shouldn't really be here. Have a second thought about whether you should be a Christian. No, through Jesus we're presented before God, free from accusation. Now God may well say, now that we're friends, you're going to need to change something and I'm going to help you. But we're going to do that together, free from anybody accusing you of anything. I, I 
feel like a lot of Christians live in this place where they have mild background guilt all the time, which makes them feel bad about entering into the Christian life. But also, if they're successful, will always be there, so I don't change it. It's just much more radical than that. Guilt is removed. You're free from accusation. No one can bring up bad things you've done as a way of saying you shouldn't be right before God. No one can do that. And then there is the part to change. You know God so fully and freely. You're free from accusation. That is not the life living through, feeling mildly guilty and feeling accused. That is not the life. Jesus is enough. He can reconcile everything to God through his blood. So he has reconciled you if you have asked him. You stand before God without fear of punishment, without the weight of accusation. Nobody can put that on you. If Jesus is as big as this passage says he is, there is no enemy that can get past him to accuse you. If his sacrifice on the cross was enough to reconcile everything to God, if that's true, you were God's enemy, it is enough to reconcile you without stain, without accusation. He is therefore enough. He is enough if you've fallen into that sin again. He's enough if you feel uneasy and left out by other Christians. He is enough to get you through whatever huge challenge you're facing. He is enough to take you deeper with God. He is enough not just to survive, but to live before God without fear of anyone finding out the truth about you, free from accusation. He is big. I mean, the word doesn't do justice. He is big. Everything is made by him and for him. And he brings everything back to God. And you have been brought back to God by him. If you trust Jesus. He is totally sufficient to do that. No matter your worries about yourself. He. You. If. You may know that, uh, if you've been around our church for a while, that if people become church members here, there is actually a process to bring something wrong they're doing before the church, and the church to put them out of membership to say that's not okay. How can we do that if everyone's free from accusation? Well, I think Paul is saying is, all of this only counts for you if you are trusting Jesus. And so the church can put on people who show by the words or actions that they don't trust him. You see what he says to them? All of this is true for you if you continue in your faith. Sometimes we can talk about, what's the call of living a Christian life? What should I be doing if I'm a Christian? And we might say, well, it's to be a good witness. It's to join a church. It's to be morally good. It's to serve others. All of those things are good products of being a Christian. The call is to continue every day established and firm in trusting Jesus to put you right with God. That is what a Christian needs to do every day. And yes, of course, we're going to see in Colossians that's transforming our life, sharing the gospel and serving all of those things. But it's interesting, you could be doing what seem like the right things 
from totally the wrong place. You could have what are often markers of trusting Jesus, but not really be trusting him. And Paul says, the heart of being a Christian is not really about doing anything at all. The heart of being a Christian is about keeping, trusting the perfect Jesus to put you right with God. That is what we are about doing every day. It matters much more where your trust is than what you do. I guess we look at all of this. And my question to myself, my question to you, is why would you stop trusting him? Why would you move your source of affirmation to your own good deeds? If the one for whom everything is made is offering you affirmation. Why be shaken by someone else's judgment of you, whether it's what you look like or what you do or what you're from or your moral behaviour? Why be shaken by that? If Jesus' physical body has reconciled you to God for good, why be shaken? Why think this difficult thing you're going through might be a punishment from God? When you have put your trust in the one who can take the punishment of every bad thing that has ever been done. Why think that there will be greater pleasure or fulfilment in giving up God and doing what you like, when the one who made the very things you're giving up God for is offering you himself all the glory of his reconciling work. Why not continue standing in all that blessing? We started by saying Jesus is enough. One of the great privileges I get in my job is that people come to talk to me about things going on in their lives. And a few people have told me recently a fairly similar story. That they really thought, if I give up being a Christian, I just let go and give in to this thing that I really want to do repeatedly, that will just be better. Stop pretending and do what I like. And each of the people who come to talk to me have said, what I found there was actually a bit of a dead end. It crushed me, it controlled me. And the thing I've now learned about being a Christian is that all the treasure, all the glory, all the satisfaction, everything I was longing for by walking away from Jesus, it's there in Jesus. He is enough. That's the offer Paul is making here to these confused, troubled young Christians. It's the offer he's making to you. And as we move into taking communion, which is a physical act to remember and participate in Jesus' physical body, why not pray for that soul-satisfying knowledge that Jesus is enough?